Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Robert Pate. You're tuned into The Image Show, and I am the president and founder of The Image Program. On today's show, we have a very interesting story. First of all, I would like to introduce our guest here today, John Lee Harris Jr., a.k.a. Buddy Harris. And Mr. Harris is the father of Marion Harris and also the father of John Lee Harris III, a.k.a. B.J. Harris. And I want to first of all, uh, before we get into the story, I want to introduce Mr. Harris a little more in detail and give him a chance to talk a little bit about uh, who he is, what he's been through as it relates to reentry. Keep in mind that both his sons, first of all, B.J. Harris is currently uh, he had his life sentence overturned. He was uh, went into prison uh, with a life sentence. That sentence is now overturned as he was a juvenile lifer. He's on his way out after serving, I think, uh, roughly 25 years. And Marion Harris was tragically killed. And this was uh, the year... October 2011. October 2011. And so I think that uh, Mr. Harris is not only going to elaborate on how it feels as a father to go through these type of tragedies, but also as it relates to reentry, kind of the success in his son uh, reentering society. So, Mr. Harris, uh, we're glad to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've been through uh, as it relates to both your sons? Okay, I'm the son of John Lee Harris Sr. and the son of Olive Gertrude Harris and the grandson of Reverend John H. Harris. I would like to also thank the community for being involved with everything that I've done. Mr. Harris, can you tell us a little bit about your sons as it relates to being a father? What did you go through, first of all, uh, when B.J. Harris was sentenced to life in prison? It was very painful. And what year was that? Can you kind of take us through that time? Uh, During that period of time, I was uh, working at the U.S. Postal Service. And uh, I was uh, off work due to a back injury at the bulk mail center in here in Des Moines. Further, I'd like to say that uh, it was it was tragic, and I didn't know what to do. Uh, basically, I was dealing with addictions, and I think my children were dealing with my addictions at the same time. So that was made the struggle even worse. Okay, now. Your son, B.J. Harris, uh, was, first of all, convicted of murder. Uh, How did that feel as a parent to know that you had a son who was convicted of murder and was sentenced to life in prison? Tragic. Um, I really didn't. I think I was really numb at the time. and, And I blamed myself for him being in that position. Why did you blame yourself? Because I was not able to provide for him the the, parent, the parenting that he needed to survive out here. And as time continued to grow, uh, what would you say was one of the things that gave him faith or hope? Or how were you able as a parent to still father your child while he was in inside the walls. I believe my son believed in me and his mother, and between the two of us, we supported him, 
and uh, we believe that he would someday be free, and uh, now that dream has been realized. Okay. I kind of just want to focus on, as a father, how did it actually feel uh, after maybe, oh, 10 years went by knowing that, did you ever think that maybe your son was never going to get out of prison? At no time. And, I, and, and, and it discussed that part of it. I believed that America was changing, and uh, I believed that, that I've, and with my encouragement, he would keep on doing the things that would be necessary within the DOC to be released. And what kind of changes did he make while he was in prison? He focused on education and, uh, and his commitment to helping other people. And how did he do that? By educating himself, by becoming involved in programs within the prison community. And I think he was also helped by a lot of people, I mean a lot of people that, were, that knew the Harris family and knew his background, and that w- helped him walk through this. Were there ever times where you talked to him either in a visit or over the phone where you just kind of felt like uh, his hope was gone and uh, did he, were, there ever, were there ever times where he actually gave up? Never. Really? Never. So he remained confident? Yes. Okay, tell us about that. Um, in my visits and conversations with my son, he would always be enlightening direct and positive. Well, good. And I'm going to tell you, uh, buddy, I remember your son. I was in prison with him. And I know that he was the president and founder of the growth organization. I know that he was doing a lot of positive things in the prison. So I think that uh, this is not only um, a good story and a good show for people out there listening, but it also sends off a positive message that you can do positive things in prison to prepare you despite what your conviction is. And so um, I commend you as being a father who was there for him because it was uh, very obvious that he had support uh, while he was in prison. And that makes a huge difference. I mean, just having money on your books, being able to go to commissary, uh, being able to buy clothes in prison. BJ, I noticed, was able to do all of that stuff. And it just seems like it's a, just a weight off your shoulder. So were you actually able to understand that being the father from the outside? I mean, did he ever discuss things like that with you? Um, we often discuss things like this. And and I was encouraged to continue everything that I was doing outside to create that atmosphere for him in prison. Good. Well, I salute you for being a father and being supportive of your son in prison, despite having a life sentence. Because when you go into prison with a life sentence, I mean, I could only imagine that it's got to be devastating not only to your kid, but also uh, to the father, to the parent. And so uh, you were supportive through that time. Now, I want to move a little bit past uh, B.J. Harris and talk about Marion Harris. I know that this was a a big incident in Des Moines uh, when Marion Harris was murdered. And uh, can you take us through that time? Well, during that time, Marion had refocused himself and was a student at De- Des Moines Area Community College at that time. 
Okay. And Marion was into auto body, auto collision at DMAC. And that's something that my father was involved in that he wanted to do in his life. And he was directed towards that. And I supported it. And he welcomed it. And he was at school every day. Uh, what would you say uh, led up to uh, this incident? I mean, do you think, did you ever have times where you blamed yourself? Uh, do you think that uh, there were things that he was involved with in the community that uh, maybe people were jealous of him? Um, I, I didn't know Marion very well, but I've always heard a lot of good things about him as far as uh, being a man of his word, you know, uh, being a man of integrity and standing on what he believes in. Marion always, uh, just like BJ, Alex, was always doing things for other people. And uh, he struggled with some things, but I think he was get to the point where he was going making progress and his attendance and his effort in school. Um, I, I was really proud of him. Right, and I, I know that there were a lot of people that uh, stepped up in the community after uh, this tragic murder uh, in Puff with Mothers Against Violence. I know that you are also good friends with uh, Calvetta Williams and that you guys have a, a, a tight bond throughout this. Can you take us into how uh, Mothers Against Violence played a positive role in this? Um Calvetta was very instrumental in assisting with uh, the funeral arrangements and things of that nature. And she was also um, in daycare with Marion and BJ and the rest of my nieces and nephews with my mother on the south side. So um, she was well orientated with our family. And I think that uh, her and Marion had a bond. And uh, she went out of her way to assist in everything that was going on. And, uh, Buddy, you, after going through all of this, seem to be so calm, laid back. I mean, I, I talk to you periodically at the Evelyn K. Davis Center. Uh, you're mm -hmm. always in support of family. And it seems like uh, you're a stronger man, first of all. But it, it, you're a stronger man than me. But it seems like there is a faith inside of you that allows you to continue to keep moving forward, and you don't really show your emotions. Um, is a lot of that hidden inside, or do you feel that uh, you know God has just uh, surrounded you with a peace? I think that— uh that I credit that to my upbringing with my mother and and father and my grandfather and the many people in the community that have assisted me along the way. Um, I think that it takes a village to raise a child, and I think it took a village to help me get past all of this. Well, great. And now that uh, B.J. Harris his case was overturned because he was a juvenile. He is now on his way out of prison. And is there any time frame when you expect him to be released? Uh, he goes before the parole board in September, 
and I believe strongly that they will release him at that time, and he will become involved with programs like yours, and he will have total success. Well, amen. And uh, we definitely invite him into the image program. And I also encourage you to let him know that he can get involved with the image program in Rockwell City. Uh, It's still alive and active. And so BJ Harris, uh, Marion Harris, your two sons. And I tell you that I commend you for your faith in being supportive, and I deeply sympathize with you for losing uh, your son. And uh, I just hope and pray that as a community of Des Moines, uh, we're able to stop the violence and continue to keep moving forward in programming. So, buddy, tell me, how have you been able to manage to keep yourself functioning correctly? I mean, how do you keep yourself stabilized after losing two sons, one to prison with a life sentence and then another one to a vicious tragedy in being murdered? I mean, this must be painful just to think about and walk through uh, day by day after going through a situation like this. How do you do it? By continuing to educate myself and through programs such as the Image Program, attending DMAC and attending the Evan K. Davis Center, I've continued to educate myself and that encourages my son to continue doing the same. Well, good. I just want to thank you for being on the show. I believe, Mr. Pate, that your vision and your guidance with the program that you're implementing into the community needs to be respected and and assisted by the DOC and the state of Iowa. Well, I thank you for that. And uh, hopefully we'll continue to keep moving forward with the image program. And, uh, you know, hopefully other people will think like you do. So thanks a lot. Mr. Thank Mayor. you. And uh, we welcome you back. So, uh Buddy Harris, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, we'll be back after these messages. And we're back in the studio on The Image Show, 98.3 The Vibe. We have Lauren Glenn Huss with us today, ladies and gentlemen. And Lauren Glenn Huss was arrested in Polk County on in 1986 for first-degree murder, and his charges were later dismissed due to insanity. He was uh, ultimately found not guilty by reason of insanity, and however, he was still sent to prison. And uh, Mr. Huss is going to tell you a little bit about his story as it pertains to uh, his charges and his development into his incarceration and also his change in the community. How you doing, uh, Mr. Huss? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. Uh, Mr. Huss, can you tell us a little bit about your situation as it relates to your change? Uh, tell us a little bit about your story and uh, just give us some insight on what happened. Sure. First of all, I'd like to thank you for having me on the show. Like you said, I received a life sentence in 1987. I spent a year in jail uh, after the arrest and uh, my mental condition at that time was not very sound, so they had to put me on some medication, and that lasted for up to the totality of a whole year. I had to sit into the Polk County Jail. After the conviction, oh, I should preface that by saying initially, the state of Iowa agreed with me that I was insane at the time of the killing, and that the prosecuting attorney for the state of Iowa from the Polk County Attorney's Office agreed with me. In fact, the state's doctor agreed uh, with me also. 
the evidence was overwhelmingly clear. I went to a uh, bench trial November 24th, 1986, presented my case to a district judge at Polk County. He held my case under advisement for a couple months. He came back and stated that that wasn't really a trial, which I had signed my written waiver of jury trial. And he said that that was basically a pretrial hearing and that you can proceed and basically just do whatever you want because you're going to go in front of a jury. So at that time, the Attorney General of Iowa came in and replaced the Polk County Prosecutor's Office, stating that, you know, we don't want to hear any more of this not guilty by reason of insanity business. And so they changed their story. At that time, they called in a doctor from Baltimore, Maryland, flew him in 11 months after this happened to evaluate me. Initially, the state's doctors had seen me uh, within 24 hours of the incident. They changed their story. They put me in front of a jury, and I was convicted of first-degree murder and was sentenced to life without parole in 1987. Okay. And um, do you think that uh, that changed your life mentally? Well, it not only changed my life, it changed the community's life, it changed the victim's family's life. It's, it's a very disturbing and, and very uh, very depressing situation. It's very sad. And uh, yes, there's no doubt it affected multiple people multiple on multiple levels. Okay. And do you think that uh, you, were f- you were treated fairly ultimately? Ultimately, after 14 years, uh, like the saying goes, truth hopefully usually comes out, but sometimes it takes a while. Okay. Joanna, now, what do you think? I mean, I see that uh, you're listening. Do you have any, any questions for well, uh, Lauren? Yes, I do. I was just kind of listening to the fact that you were saying in the beginning um, you had to serve a year in jail, and then they tried you, of course, seems like, and then they gave you a, a life sentence with no parole. Uh, is there a reason why they never considered insanity in the beginning? Well, they did consider insanity at the beginning, and they were all in agreement with insanity at the beginning. Like I previously stated, sure, the their own the state's doctor initially seen me within 24 hours of the incident and was thoroughly convinced. Okay, so basically what it sounded like is you were ultimately uh, given a non-guilty insanity plea. It was it was ruled that you were not guilty by reason of insanity by the prosecutor. And then they decided to take that back and sentenced you or send you to trial. You went to trial, got convicted, and then was sentenced to life in prison. Is that correct? Correct. The attorney general of the state of Iowa came in after the judge decided not to honor the initial trial. The attorney general came in and removed the Polk County prosecutor from the case and withdrew the uh, insanity agreement. Okay. Now, I want to get more into uh, the change uh, and the positive change as it relates to uh, the image show here. Uh, I want the people to be able to see some of the different changes that you made while you were in prison after going through an unconstitutional situation like this. Well, first of all, initially, when you go into the penitentiary, I was young. I was 23 years old. I couldn't read very well. I was in shock, post-traumatic stress to the max. I'm in a maximum security penitentiary, Fort Madison. And so it's like there's just no hope. It's the end of the, it's the, end of the road. And so I began to study, and I began to, you know, I had my Bible, and I began to read the Bible, and I began to study law. And I just, it was a gradual process. This is a, it's a, it's a, uh, Nothing that happens overnight, and I had to deal with my, you know, my mental state. I had to deal with lawyers. I had to deal with learning the law myself. 
and it was just quite the uh, it took an extended period of time to and process to to use a Christian term to renew my mind. And how did this ultimately affect your faith? Well, it strengthened my faith. Initially, I began studying under uh, Dr. Roy, Roy Blizzard. He is a uh, biblical archaeologist and a world-class biblical scholar, and he was located in Israel, and I began studying his material. Also, I began studying uh, the Jerusalem School for the Study of Synoptic Gospels at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, and they began to help me interpreting the Bible and reading the original languages, and it strengthened my faith considerably. Okay, now uh, we met actually at the Evelyn K. Davis Center, and you were applying for for a job. You said that when you go into a job and ask for uh, an application or uh, somehow get to the interview process and they find out that you've been arrested for first-degree murder, that automatically uh, everything's turned down and you're basically sent away. Is that correct? Interview's over. Okay, can you take us into that a little bit? Yes, I present, you know, my application and my resume. And once they find out about my background or they inquire about my background or they have the check, the box, the felony box check and, you know, all that, it winds down pretty fast. Wow. And do you think that uh, this could, how do you feel this could be changed? Well, I think the mental health system in general needs more funding for one you know i've I've been in the penitentiary and i've seen pill line pill lines a mile long and i think they use the prison system as a mental hospital like i'm I'm sure you're well aware the statistics 2.3 million folks are locked up in this country and 400,000 have a diagnosable mental illness so it's definitely a problem Okay. And how do you feel that uh, the Evelyn K. Davis Center uh, can help you or other programs uh, can go about starting the process? You say funding. Now, obviously, you know that the Evelyn K. Davis, they have uh, job fairs. uh, People are able to come in, get hired on the spot. Due to your mental illness, does that take away from your capability to be able to work a job? No. My particular diagnosis is bipolar affective disorder in remission. So, I mean, there's not even any treatment that I can have. It's It would be like giving chemotherapy to a cancer patient that's in remission. Okay. Now, do you think that just because uh, you were found not guilty by reason of insanity, when people are able to go back and look at that, do you think that brings a concern to them? Like, well, maybe this guy might kill again. And, you know, due to his mental condition, this could be a problem uh, and a liability for uh, our employers. Sure. I understand the concern. My particular diagnosis, it just doesn't come on you all at once and you just snap. You know, you don't eat, you don't sleep. It's a period. It runs in cycles. It's a build-up stage. And with being around professionals or having the employers aware of my situation, I think that would help them relieve their mind. But I do understand the concern. It would, Definitely it's a concern. My goodness. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you have to think into con- in, take everything into consideration. Like, okay, now I've been to prison too, Glenn, and I know that, and I call you Glenn, but your, your name is Lauren Glenn Huss. And I, I, I would imagine most people call you Huss or Big Huss, right? Sonny. 
Sonny. They call you Sonny. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you're a pretty big guy, so I figured maybe they called you Big Huss. Anyway, Sonny, you talk about your faith and your change. Now, your story is a little different than a lot of uh, the other stories as it relates to reentry and the people that we've had on the show. You're dealing, well, we're dealing here with a insanity plea. And this is interesting to me because I don't know much about that. So... As far as like insanity plea, would you say that by serving the 14 years that this was the worst thing that could have happened to you? Well, if I'd have went into the mental health system, okay, I mean, I don't know, that could have been devastating too. The prison system was devastating. I think the only good, you know, the good news is that I, and I don't know if this is the proper term, but it's a philosopher's paradise. I mean, you can study, you can learn, you can grow if you apply yourself. And so if you put the time and the effort in to, uh, like you say, to, to grow and to, to better yourself, a person really can do that. For after 14 years, my goodness, yeah. Well, good. We're going to take a quick recess, and we'll be back after these messages. We're back on The Image Show. Robert Pate, Joanna Davis, and we also have with us Sonny. Sonny, can you tell us a little bit more about your transformation as you left prison and how hard it is now for you to get a job you were talking about uh, and just the overall change in the way that your life uh, is basically going about today versus how it was? I mean, where is your mind at these days? I'm still I'm grounded. okay, and I understand I'm older. I'm 55 years old. I understand a lot of things I didn't understand when I'm young, when I was young. Uh, employment's difficult. You know, I've had trouble with drinking since I'm out here. I mean, to try to relieve the stress. Uh, initially, when I was first released, I did have a problem with alcohol. Uh, I still have to watch alcohol. Uh, the stresses, I mean, when, you, when, when it's hard to find employment or it's hard to find uh, housing or it's, it, you know, my situation affects certain relationships. I mean, those are all very stressful factors for someone that isn't in my situation, let alone being in my situation. Uh, so, yes, to answer your question, I believe I'm, you know, doing the best of what I have. And, but it's just, it's just difficult. And, and, I, and I appreciate you having me on your show and that uh, perhaps that we can make some progress. Well, I'll tell you, Sonny, we have uh, a job fair this Wednesday at the Evelyn K. Davis Center from 9.30 to 1.30. That's this Wednesday, October 24th. And I'll give you the information uh, after this is over. But we want to make sure that anybody out there who is going through any kind of mental illness, anybody out there that is looking for a job, that they come up because there's different criterias that they can be met. There's different jobs that you can get that you can find that are available uh, for all kind of situations through the Evelyn K. Davis Center. And so, you know, the image program is all about positive change. We want to make sure that we're trying to get that we're giving you all the adequate uh, resources and information that's necessary uh, to kind of help your change and and your growth. Uh, How long have you been free? After the initial verdict in 2001, you just don't get released. So I had to go through the mental health stage of this and go through all the institutions. I was finally released in uh, 05. And Joanna, do you have anything that you would like to add or uh, maybe ask uh, Sonny as it relates to this? Yes, um, Sonny, 
one of the questions I was thinking of was, you know, with the fact that you've been through so much and you've had to, you know, go through the uh, justice system, the, the criminal system and prison and then wind up in mental I'm not sure if it is a mental institution. Is that what they... A few mental institutions. A few of them. Um, If you, since you've had to go through all of those things, um, do you find it important to reach out to even other people that are are experiencing some of the similar things that you've had to go through um, while facing uh, the difficult, um, you know, just the charges and... Um, the um, the trauma of all that. Are you involved in any groups? Do you reach out to other people? Um, what does that look like for you now that you're out and you're more stable? And because there's a lot of people that are going through very similar things, maybe not quite the same thing, but very similar. And the reason why I ask that is because I know how important it is to, um, you know, help others that may be experiencing some of the things that you've had to experience? Sure. Well, just this afternoon, in fact, I just came from a meeting. Uh, it was an immigration, immigration meeting, and it had to do with mental illness and how the immigrants are dealing with the mental illness situation in the public schools. And I'm sitting there listening to this, and, it, it, I mean, the language barrier, the poverty, the just lack of communication between the Department of Human Services and the the clients and the judicial department. It is just, it's, from my point of view, it was horrendous. And so, you know, they break up into groups. And so we're sitting at the table and, you know, and I do try to input and I try to help these women. I mean, these are mothers. They're just sad. They're crying. They're their their children, I mean, they're not making it in school, and it's a lot of the times the children aren't even mentally ill. It's just it's just a you know it's perhaps the language barrier or just the trauma of coming from another country or the family situation in and of itself. It's not necessarily the ch- child needs to be on drugs or on Ritalin. You know, let's get him some drugs and listening to those stories. And I to answer your question, I did the best I could. Sure. Again, I just was curious on that because I know that, um, you know, all of us go through different things in life. And one of the things that I think helps us to heal when we've went through so much trauma and um, just, you know, just situations that are just, you know, unfortunate that when we uh, spend time helping others in that same area that we've experienced, we find that healing, we find that peace, and and we get restored. You know, it's kind of like what you said earlier, you know, you had to go through the renewing of your mind, you know, you had to, your mind had to be healed. And I see so many things out there um, as a, you know, as a pastor, you know, I also have a, uh, a story that, you know, I've had to share and testify to other people of how, you know, you, you go through these things, but you can't overcome them, and you can overcome them. We all know, as Robert and I talk a lot about the Lord, we know that it is in God's Word that we find that healing, and we take that, and we take our experience, and then we apply it to, um, you know, other people's lives to try to help them come out of those things and, and, and teach them and show them that, you know, you can be victorious, you can overcome, and I think I think it's uh, pretty awesome just to sit here with a person yourself, like yourself um, and see um, how, you know, even in the worst of tragedies, you're still a winner. You've still overcome and, and uh, you know, there's, there's triumph in tragedy. 
Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I really think that this is interesting because, first of all, to go into prison with a life sentence after you've been told that you were not guilty by reason of insanity, then to ultimately go in there with a life sentence and actually spend 14 years serving that life sentence. Do you feel that you deserve to be out? And I suppose that gets into, you know, naturally, I I think that. But, I mean, you're getting into moral and legal and ethical questions. I mean, I did what I did, you know, and I understand the position of some people that saying (laughs) insane or not, it doesn't matter that you got found not guilty by reason of insanity, you shouldn't be out. And I understand that. Personally, I feel that, you know, I, I put in the time and the effort to to get a, get a shot, but I didn't write the laws. You know, some states have, they don't have not guilty by reason of insanity laws, okay? So, I mean, if the people are upset, which I'm sure some are, I mean, talk to your legislatures about these laws. I got a question for you. Did you ever think that you were going to get out of prison, or did you think that you would spend the rest of your life in prison? Initially, I had hope that I would get out, but the more I was there, and the more I studied law, and the more I seen that a life sentence without parole in Iowa means exactly that, it got a bit depressing. But I always, deep down, the more I was studying my Bible, and the more my mind was being renewed. I always, deep down, I did have a, a peace. I had a peace that something, somehow that this was going to work out. I, I can't explain it, and I don't understand it. But I never jumped off the range. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, we appreciate you coming on our show and giving us your story. I think that this was very interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, Lauren Glenn Huss. We also have Joanna Davis in the house. Mr. Huss, we appreciate your time, and we thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Coming up next, me and Joanna Davis will break down our biblical principles, and uh, we'll discuss a little more in detail on how reentry relates to our biblical principles. We'll be back after these messages. We're back on The Image Show. Joanna Davis, Pastor Joanna Davis, and Robert Pate, President and Founder of The Image Program. Well, Joanna, that was a pretty good uh, interview that we had with Mr. Huss. Oh, you yes. Think? Yes, I do. I think it was uh, very um, informative and, you know, to help just uh, give people an idea of um, some of the things that happen in the justice system that uh, we really need to take a look at and, and um, you know— because people are facing some things that aren't always fair. And so we want to, you know, bring those, bring that awareness out um, and, uh, you know, make these things known because things need to change. Right. I think that, I mean, for somebody that goes into prison with a life sentence, first of all, and you spend 14 years thinking that you're going to do life, I think mentally that's got to do something to the mind. I don't care what nobody says. I mean, just that 11 years that I spent, it literally ate my mind up. I I had to cling to my Bible, and I know everybody doesn't do that, but, you know, I couldn't imagine going in with a life sentence. Yes, I, I couldn't either, and that's what amazes me, just to, you know, see him, like, right now, you can—just the, the peace that he does have— um, 
knowing that he's been through that's you know a lot of years of trauma and uh, facing a lot of things of you know just not knowing if you're ever gonna see the outside world again yes so you know I was really deep into my Bible uh, last week and I end up calling you and telling you after I got a breakthrough I was so excited and I wanted to share that because it was all about faith walking in faith with a renewed mind and the assurance of knowing that when you have your hope and your trust in God, you do not have to so much focus on the circumstance. It's the the weight that's carried by God. Absolutely. He carries that burden for us. I think that it's really important for anybody that's going through some difficult things uh, that um, when we... Um, have a relationship with the Lord, you know, again, we put all of our trust, our hope is in Him. Uh, we give those, that situation or circumstance to Him and and trust that God is, is working it out so that we don't get bombarded or burdened down mentally, physically, and emotionally from things that we have no control over. Amen. And for all of my uh, brothers and sisters incarcerated, I just uh, think that it's good that me and Joanna uh, pray Uh, for you guys. Uh, And again, we pray that your hearts are changed. Uh, For those whose hearts are hardened, uh, we pray that it it, it be lightened and and that your hearts be softened. And even for the people that are in the community with all the tragedies that's going on, all the death and sicknesses uh, that's happening around here. I tell you, Joanna, this sickness has really become an epidemic. Absolutely. I had four or five people out of church on this past Sunday due to just sickness. Yeah, and then the, sickness. the cancer, the stage four cancer. I mean, this stuff is just getting out of hand, I think. There's a lot of it going on. Um, I just, you know, I've had a few even close friends be um, diagnosed with cancer and having to go through chemo. And, you know, I lost my father from cancer a couple years back and, uh you know, that was a very uh, difficult time, even, you know, seeing our loved ones um, be stricken by a lot of these diseases and sicknesses that um, have no cures. Amen. So I want to pray um, for everybody out there, and then uh, you can lead in if you would like. But I think it's just important to, first of all, pray for the, the sickness, uh, pray for the, the people who have cancer, uh, for the people that are in prison who or in jail, incarceration, Polk County Jail, uh, who've changed their lives and are just looking for a second chance. Uh, When God has seen their repentance and and knows their heart, uh, we're just going to pray that, uh, uh, you know, justice is is found. So uh, if you'll please join me in prayer right now. Yes. Dear Lord, gracious Father, oh, I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for the people that you have put in my life. I thank you for the image show. I thank you for the image program. There's so much that I can be thankful for. But God, I ask that you touch those people, bless those people, anoint those people who are hurting right now, who are sick, who are waiting on uh, an answer from 
the doctor to see if uh, they've been diagnosed with uh, uh, an illness uh, that could be life-threatening, dear God. Dear Lord, we rebuke cancer, dear God, right now on this show. We, we just rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus, dear God, and we just ask that you put it under your feet. Give it back to the devil, dear God. Uh, for all my brothers and sisters out there who are going through uh, trial uh, this week, dear Lord, I pray that you be the judge, dear God, and I pray that, that you hand down the sentence, yes, dear Lord, Lord, and I pray that you give uh, the acquittal or whatever it is that you see fit, dear Lord, but I pray Thank that you, you hold that uh, decision. And uh, we ask for your mercy, dear Lord, for all of the people out there that are affected by family members who are sick, dear God. Uh, we pray for financial uh, increase in the people who are living in poverty, dear God. Yes, Lord. Uh, for the kids, dear Lord. Yes, Lord. Who are out there on drugs and alcohol, dear God. We ask yes, that Father. you touch them, yes, dear change them. Uh, send someone in their life, dear Lord, for change. Yes, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, and we just ask you in the name of Jesus that you would just um, continue, Lord, to um, show yourself to your people. Make your presence known, dear Lord, that you are there with them and that you will never leave them nor forsake them. Father, let them know that you hear their prayers. Father God, we know that you wipe all of their tears. We know, God, that you are a God that will never, never leave us. You're always there with us. And so, Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you, Father, today just for the image program, the time that we're able to to spend on the radio broadcast to reach those that are out there, Father God, that need to hear a word of hope, a word of truth, a word of just healing, Father God. And we just thank you, Lord, that you've opened up these lines that we're able to do that. And Father, I just lift up every listener right now in the name of Jesus, that they will hear something that will bring uh, salvation to their lives and that they would choose you, Father God. They would turn from uh, the things that they're doing. They would repent and they would come back to you, Father. And so, Father, we just lift this prayer up to you. We know, Lord, that you are in charge. We know, Lord, that you are the head. We know, Lord, that you are, are making a way. And, Father, we just um, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. And we give you all the honor. In Jesus' mighty name, in amen. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Shawnee boy, we're praying for you. We know you got a blessings coming before you. For all my brothers in Polk County and uh, DOC, we love you. We're praying for you. The Image Program is alive and active. We're going to continue to make positive change in yes. the community. And uh, until next week, uh, Joanna Davis, Robert Pate, have a great week in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.